I have a confession. I am a thief. Back when I was a teenager, I stole a road sign. I know the answer, the answer to your question is no, I don't know why. Um, For the most part, I was a pretty good kid and stayed out of trouble in most of the things that most teenagers got in trouble to, but I grew up in a very small town, like we got a McDonald's when I was in sixth grade and we hit the big time, okay? Like that's how small, I grew up in a very small town and there was not much to do, so late one night, me and some buddies got the great idea that we would steal a road sign or two, and I did it. But here's the bad part, here's the bad part. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's not the worst thing I've ever done. I'm also a liar, a cheater, a deceiver, a gossiper, and that was all before I turned 19. (laughs) Simply put, I have been a sinner. I've been a sinner. It's been a part of my identity. I have these sins that I wish I could go back and erase and undo them. I mean, now I realize how stupid it was to steal a road sign. I could have gotten in some serious trouble. I could have gotten hurt. I wouldn't lie to people that I said I cared about. I wouldn't deceive friends. I wouldn't gossip about someone because now I know how hurtful it is to be gossiped about. But I did all those things, and I was that person. And I bet you've got some stories too. I bet you've got a history too. And by the end of our time today, I wanna tell you about how the Apostle Paul says that Who you were isn't who you have to be now. But it's going to take us a minute to get to the scriptures. Hey, I'm Carter McKenna, some lead pastor here at Mountaintop. And now you know that the pastor of Mountaintop is a sinner, just in case you had thought otherwise. Uh, you, You would be... Uh, mistaken, but pastor and sinner are just two, uh, two things that compete for my identity. And boy, this is something we are talking about more than ever in our world now, isn't it? Identity. And here's the question that we're asking. Who am I? Who am I? What defines me? Maybe you've asked those questions. Am I defined by my generation or my race 
or my background or my family history? Am I defined by my neighborhood? Am I defined by my political party? Am I defined by what school I go to or went to? Am I defined by the team I cheer for? Am I just a voting block or a statistic? Who? Who am I, really? What defines me? And I have a theory that for so many of us in today's world that we don't really have an identity, we have a lie-identity. That our reality, our identity is actually rooted in things that aren't true. They're lies. And maybe it's something that someone else has convinced us of. Maybe it is something that the world has tried to, society has kind of told us who we're supposed to be. Maybe it's what a group of friends at school or at work or in our neighborhood who've kind of told us this is what we're supposed to look like, be like, act like, talk like, think like. And maybe it's a lie that the enemy has tried to persuade us of. But the problem with lie identities, the problem with lie identities, these identities that are based on lies, is that when we buy into this, then we can't be who we were authentically created to be. And this affects everything. This affects relationships. This affects our work life. This affects our faith. It, it, it affects our entire existence because in our heart of hearts, who we see ourselves as isn't real. It's not true. It's a lie. Henry Nouwen was a uh, Roman Catholic Dutch priest who was an author, theologian, just a, an incredible thinker. And years ago, he was so ahead of the game. We're so concerned about identity now, but he was so ahead of the game. Years ago, he said that there were five lies of identity. And the last one that he picked out, it's amazing that it was decades ago because it is right in line with what I want to talk about today. It was this idea that I'm nothing more than my worst moment. I'm nothing more than my worst moment. Nothing is more damaging to our future selves than our past selves. Nothing is more harmful to what God wants to do in our lives than the memory of our mistakes. Nothing is more destructive to how God's grace wants to move in our lives than the lingering of our sin. And it does linger doesn't it? In the Broadway musical, Les Mis, any Broadway fans in here? Yeah, so we got, we got a woo over there, so we got one at least. We got a couple woos over here, okay. In the Broadway musical, one of the classics, Les Mis, the, the main character in the story is a man named Jean Valjean, and so much of the story is about his kind of life and his identity, when he is released from prison, when he is paroled from prison, he has to carry around this yellow paper to the world, always has to have it on him, that tells the world that he is an ex-con. In fact, it even has stamped on it, extremely dangerous. And he has to present it to wherever he has to go, the mistake of his past years ago haunts his present 
and it threatens his future. And you know, does that sometimes feel that way for us? When you, when you came in this morning, you got one of these little yellow cards and a pen. And I'll bet you've got some past mistakes that haunt your present. And I wonder if you would just be brave enough today. This between you, as God, you and God, these aren't trading cards. We're not going to trade these. I wonder if you'd be brave enough today to just take that card and write down something from your past, a mistake, a sin, a transgression from your past that's haunting you. Would you be brave enough to do that? Would you be brave enough to put it into words, to name that thing that is reminding you of your past? See, the, the identity that we believe is this, that I am my past. That I am what I wrote on that card, that I am my mistake. We have a mental memory of that person and we close our eyes and see that sin. We see that mistake. I can still remember climbing out of the back of my Jeep and taking that sign. And just FYI, I'm pretty sure statute of limitations on the state of South Carolina has passed. I remember who I was when I did what I did. And you probably remember who you were when you did what you did. The one who stepped outside the lines sexually. The one who abused alcohol or had some pretty wild times in your 20s. The one who failed at your first marriage. And maybe the second. The one who treated your parents so poorly. The one who lied to someone that you said you cared about. And what Satan wants to, you to believe is that you are that list. That you didn't just do those things on the list, but that you actually are that list. And what we begin to believe is that the mistakes of our past are intertwined into our present, and we can never escape them. And sometimes we feel like Jean Valjean, like we are walking out into the world, and everyone can see past our veneer to the sketchy details sketched on our own yellow paper. And when they see us, all they see is our past. Not that I have a past. The lie, identity, is that you are your past. I am my past. I mean, let's just be honest. It's hard to get past your past. It's hard to get past your past because that's one of the reasons it's so easy to believe this lie is because our past is real. It, it, we're not talking about an identity based on the opinions of other people and boy, we're in a world with a lot of opinions right now and we're gonna talk about that identity in a few weeks. We're not talking about the identity that is built on the image of the culture or what society says we're supposed to be. We're going to talk about that identity in a few weeks. We're talking about historical facts. Right? 
We're talking about historical facts. I stole the sign. I lied. I gossiped. I did it. I did what I wrote on my paper and whatever you wrote on your paper or that you were too scared to write. You did it. It happened. And so it's hard to get past our past because some of them are documented. Some of them affected our permanent record. Some of them have a court case number. Some of them impacted our credit score. Some of them are still affecting our health. Some of them left physical and emotional damages and some of our sins are the reason that relationships ended. They're real. And the enemy wants you to believe that they aren't just something you did, they are who you are, that your past actions are forever entwined into your present identity. This is the lie that the enemy wants you to believe, that you are what you did. No, 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 no. You didn't just lie, you're a liar. Oh, no, 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 you didn't just deceive somebody, you're a deceiver. You didn't just cheat somebody, you're a cheater. The enemy wants you to believe that you are what you did, and come on, let's be honest with one another, that the echo of our past mistakes often rings loud into our present. And we become to believe that our past indiscretions are our present identity. Um, My family and I are really big Marvel Universe fans. Anybody else? We get Marvel fans? Okay, we're we're really big Marvel fans. I have four boys, so um, that's what we do. We go watch Marvel movies. I mean, so uh, there was a scene at the in 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 uh, Avengers Endgame that just stopped me in my tracks. Now, if you haven't seen it and you're like like not into Marvel, let me just tell you and just kind of get you up to speed. Okay, in Endgame, there's a lot of time travel and science fiction. So it just kind of all gets kind of confusing. If you've never seen it, you don't know. But there's a character in the movie that's a really interesting character. Uh, her name is Nebula, and she is the daughter of the villain in the whole Avengers universe, Thanos. He's like the really bad guy. And this is one of his daughters. He has two daughters and a good one, and Nebula is the bad one. She's awful. She's like the biggest meanie you've ever seen. Iron Man calls her the blue meanie, right? I mean, like, she's just mean. She's just really, really bad. And there's this, but here's the thing. Over the course of the whole Avengers, all the movies, she turns good. And she, beg- she ends up going against her father and taking the side of her good sister. And there's a scene in Avengers Endgame where her past self, who has bad, are you tracking me with me here? Her past self, who has bad, has traveled to the present where her good self is. And she has this, she has this confrontation about she's going to do something bad because that past her is with her father. And she can't imagine that she could ever be good. And she has this confrontation with her future self. And what she says in this little short scene took my breath away when I saw it. Listen to what Nebula says. 
You don't have to do this. I am this. I am this. I am this. No, no, see, you don't understand. I don't just do bad things. I am a bad thing. Now see, I haven't just made mistakes. I'm a mistake. I am this. And I believe that this lie is one of the biggest reasons people stay out of church and maybe the reason if you're watching at home or maybe you're new here and you're just kind of sticking a toe back in the waters of faith, it is one of the reasons that we have kept faith at arm's distance because it is not because we don't think God is holy and not because we don't honor God or we don't, we don't think God is worthy of worship. It is that we know we are so unholy. And we just can't figure out how we could ever have a relationship with this holy God. We can't imagine how this holy God would ever want to be in our presence. Because every time we walk into the church doors, we feel like everybody can read our yellow sheet of paper. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I screwed up. And some of us, have had Christian friends even tell us that. Some of us have had Christian pastors reinforce that, that you are what you did. And the Apostle Paul says something totally different. He says, you are not what you did. That doesn't define you. You are what he did. You are what he did. And the he is Jesus. And what Jesus did changed everything. Paul wrote this letter called 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church to tell them exactly what Jesus did and the implications that it had for their identity. Now, to understand just the context of this, you got to understand what Corinth was like. And this is a world 2,000 years ago in a community that you have probably never visited and none of us are like Nebula and can go back in time and see what Corinth was like. But I'm just going to tell you one word to describe Corinth and this will help you get some context for what it was like, okay? It's going to help you. Like, what was this? All right, this one word. Vegas. Okay? I want you to think about Vegas. That's Corinth. Corinth was the Vegas of its day. It was home to a world of sin and a lifestyle just kind of like Vegas is. Corinth was home to the temple of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual love. And it was where people went to get wild. In fact, just like Vegas, Vegas has a saying, right? That everybody knows you can finish the sentence. What happens in Vegas? Stays in Vegas. If 2,000 years ago, if you'd have said to anyone into the, to, into the Greek culture, if you would have said to live, and they would have said like a Corinthian. You go spend a weekend in Corinth so you can live like a Corinthian. 
or if you if you're gonna if you had a weekend in any community but you had a weekend of just bending boundaries and morality and drunkenness they said you lived like a Corinthian that weekend and Paul plants a church in Vegas in his Corinth he plants a church there and people come to Christ and they receive Jesus and they become to place their faith in Jesus. But here's the thing about the church community in Corinth. Everybody in the church of Corinth has a past. They grew up a Corinthian. Everybody has a history. Everybody has something that, that happened in their lives. And the culture around them was beckoning them back to old habits and old behaviors. And Paul hears about this, and he writes them a letter with some tough words, some challenging words, but some beautiful encouragement. I'm going to be reading this today. It's just a short little section in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, if you read all of 1 Corinthians, it's, it's got some really detailed kind of teaching about all that was going on in the Corinth community. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to be able to study this along. There's some bookshelves when you leave. Those are our free gifts to you. And typically, um, I teach out of the version that we give away there, the NIV. But I'm going to teach today out of a, out of a version called The Message. So if you've, got your, if you've got a hard copy Bible, it might sound a little different. The message is kind of a modern day and sometimes really poetic and beautiful. And I thought this was really beautiful the way that it says it. This is what Paul starts it out to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the beginning of verse 9. He writes to all these people in the Corinth church with a past. Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? He's hearing stories of how they're thinking about going back, how they're dabbling in old habits and old lifestyles because they can't get in their mind that they could be anything different than what they've always been. And Paul makes no bones about it. Don't you guys know this is not the way? This is not the way to live. This is not what you were supposed to do. He does not gloss over sin or pretend like sin is not a big deal. It's a big deal. Sin's a big deal. In fact, if it isn't a big deal, then the beauty of what Paul is about to write loses its shine. If sin becomes insignificant, then the cross loses its significance. Paul says sin is really significant. See, that's kind of one of the messages that we get from the world. is like, don't worry about your past. Don't worry about what anybody else telling you wrong. Here, you do you. You do you. And Paul says, hey, you doing you is not the way to live. And then he doubles down with some challenging words about the implications of them doing them and me doing me and you doing you. Unjust people who don't care about God, who don't care about God's boundaries, who don't care about God's word, who don't care about God's teaching, who don't care about God's laws, who don't care about the way of God. Unjust people who do wrong because they don't care about God, they will not be joining in his kingdom. And then he goes on to say this, those who use and abuse each other to climb the corporate ladder, 
to get ahead. Those who use and abuse sex and break all the boundaries that God has set forth. Those who use and abuse the earth and everything in it and everything it produces. They don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. People who do wrong, people who abuse what the earth produces, smoke it, drink it, eat it. People who use and abuse others, people who have colored outside the lines of God's sexual boundaries, people who have been wrongdoers, people who have slandered others online, in person, or behind their back in the closet at work. Anyone... Paul says, who does these actions does not qualify for the kingdom. They do not qualify for a relationship with God. They do not get access to heaven. They do not qualify for the promises to be his children. I promise there's encouragement. Because I don't know about you, but I'm on that list. Paul named and then Paul, he says this. Can you imagine reading this letter in Corinth? They're Vegas with a past, with a history. A number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. I just imagine they're reading that for the first time. And they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I know what you're talking about, Paul. Oh yeah. I, I remember, I'm still struggling, Paul. Yeah, I remember. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm still dealing with it. I'm wrestling with it every morning of, of, this, of this person that I was and these mistakes that I made. And then, but then he says something that's so unbelievable because of one incredible, beautiful, awesome word. One word. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Come on. Somebody say were. Were. You were on that list. You did that. It was in the past. It is yesterday. It is last week. It is last year. You were. But that identity is a lie identity. It's not who you are. It's not, Paul says. It's not your identity today. It's what you were. And then he says this. Since then, since then. Oh, but Paul, you don't know. I was a liar. I was a thief. Paul, have I told you about the road signs? Paul, I was a gossiper. No, 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 no. Paul says, since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus our master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us. That is who you are. You have been cleaned up and given a fresh start, and you are no longer defined by your past, by your sin, your mistakes. You are defined by the spirit of the living God who lives in you. That's who you are. 
Jesus, Paul says, Jesus has redeemed your past, redefined your present, and rewritten your future. And I love, I love, I want to I just kind of reread that verse in the NIV because I love the way, I love what it says. Paul says, and that is what some of you were, 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 were. That's what you were. You were a sinner. You were a deceiver. You were a liar. You were a gossiper. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. People almost say like, well, those are some really big, churchy, religious-sounding words. What does it mean to be justified? One of my old seminary professors used to say, it means it's justified, never sinned. It's justified, never done it. So state of South Carolina, I never stole that sign. It's just that I've never done it. This is the promise that, that God offers us in Jesus Christ. This is it. In Jesus, what you were isn't what you are. What you were. What you were. What you wrote down on that paper. What you were afraid to write down on that paper. It isn't what you are. Don't believe the lie that you can't escape your past or that you were defined by your worst moment or season. Don't believe the lie that you will always be that. Don't believe the lie that it disqualifies you for a better future and don't believe the lie that God is mad at you. Don't believe the lie that this is you. Don't believe that lie. That's not who you are. You are not defined by what you did. You are defined by what he did, and you are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified, restored, whole, pure, loved, because you are his. That's who you are. And that promise, that hope is available to everyone. What you were. What you were isn't who you are in Jesus when we come to Jesus. And if you've never done that, if you've never done what Tori's saying to just say, yes, Lord, you're invited today to receive a brand new identity and a brand new future. If you've never done that, you're invited to embrace who Jesus says you are. You know, that Broadway musical Les Mis, it's based in France. Jean Valjean, you probably figured that out if you didn't know it. And there's a little trick, there's a story within the story. As he carries around this paper with all his sins on it, do you know what Jean means in French? It means God is gracious. You are not defined by what is written on some stupid piece of yellow paper. You are defined by a gracious God that just wants you 
to remember your name. And let me tell you your name. You are a daughter of the Most High King. You are a son of the living God. And I wonder if today, if you'd finally just let go of who you were so that you can be who Jesus says you are. People think that church is all about rules and religion. It's not. The promise of Jesus, the promise of Jesus is that when we believe in him, when we trust that his crucifixion covers our sin and that his resurrection three days later gives us victory over that sin forever, the promise of Jesus is that we get a new identity, a clean slate, and a new name. You are not your past. You are a son and daughter of your heavenly Father if you want to be. And you are not imprisoned by what you did. You are free if, if you want to be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the new name that we've been given in Jesus. Thank you for the identity that has been restored in Jesus. And I pray that every person in this room would receive it for the first time or one more time. In Jesus' name. Amen.